Uh, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys here. And also, oh man, the hall is filling up more and more every week. It's really good to see um, so many people in our hall and being able to worship together. Um, before, before we begin, uh, maybe I'll just start off with a prayer. So why don't you bow your heads and join me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you um, for this time where we can come and open your word and we can look into it. Uh, we know that there are lots of things uh, that we can learn from it, things that you want to speak to us with. And so, Lord, we ask that um, as we take this time to uh, just to be in your word, uh, we pray that you would uh, guide me as I speak. I pray that the words that I say will be um, only from you. Uh, they won't be my own words. And we pray that of all things that have been said, um, they would all glorify you and also just to, uh, to challenge us uh, to live our lives in a way that is more pleasing to you than we have before. And so we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, well, over the last couple of years, um, I feel like the sport or the, the recreation of paddleboarding has become really popular. Um, I've dabbled in it a couple of times. Uh, recently, I went to the Riverlands, and I was on the Murray, and I had a go at it, and I didn't fall in the water, so that was really fun. Um, and then I also went another time down at Port Nolunga at the beach. And, you know, both times it was really cool. Um, I definitely can't say I'm a professional at it. Um, I know I've got friends who bring picnic baskets and cheese boards uh, when they go paddle boarding, so they're definitely the goal to aspire to. Um, but, you know, as I, was, uh, as I was doing this paddle boarding, I kind of um, learned a lot about being on water. Um, I learned a lot about tides and currents, and also just um, how strong the wind can be, surprisingly. Um, because first time when I was paddleboarding, I was just on the Murray, and we were in this little section that really wasn't, um, there weren't many currents, and it was a very still day, and I could really do whatever I want. I was like, that is really easy. I want to go there, just a couple of paddles, and off I go. Um, but when I was at Port Nolunga, it was very different. It was really windy. Um, and there were four of us. Uh, I was there with my brother-in-law, his fiance, and their friend. And this paddleboard, um, you know, there was one of us trying to paddle, and we were just off the beach. And so, you know, we're sort of like waist-high water. And we all, all we wanted to do was paddle to the jetty, and it wasn't really that far, maybe 50, 100 meters. And we started off going okay, but as time went on, the wind picked up. And no matter how hard the person on the paddleboard paddled, it was pretty much impossible to paddle against the wind. It probably took us about a good 20 minutes of the person on the paddleboard paddling, and then the three of us standing in the water pulling the paddleboard along for us just to get to the jetty. And it probably took all of two minutes for us to let go, and then they were back where we started. Um, and, you know, I was reflecting on that. I was thinking about, you know, is, is paddleboarding for me? Probably not. I'm not really going to do much more of that. But um, I was thinking about this idea where when we go through life, there are often things, um, or there are often times when we get to a point where we have to, um, we have to decide, we have to make a choice. Um, and sometimes, you know, you feel like when we make that choice, there's always something that's pushing against us. Something that's kind of there that's going to say, hey, you should probably do this. This maybe sounds like a good idea. Um, and it's just sort of that thing in the back of your head. And if you don't think about it, if you don't pay attention, it kind of just takes you with it. It's kind of like when we're on the paddleboard. If we're not paying attention, if you're just sitting on it, before you know it, you've drifted off and you don't know where you are. Maybe it's just like it's a warm summer night and you're strolling along the beach and you walk past 
Bottega Gelataria, the best ice cream parlor in Adelaide. And what do you do? Of course, you stop, you go inside, and you buy ice cream. You think to yourself, well, you know, the decision's made for me. It's hot, it's a summer's evening, there's ice cream here, what else should I do? But there might be a little voice in your head that says, well, actually, I've already had dinner, there's plenty of ice cream at home. But you think, how can I say no to this really tempting offer? It's right there, I might as well just go with it. You know, temptations come into our life all the time, and sometimes we come across them naturally. Other times, they just seem to come into our path. Either way, we all face temptation at some stage in our life. And so today, we're going to look at what the Bible says about temptation, and we're going to look at how the Bible says how we should deal with it. We'll actually see that temptation is very closely related to this concept of sin, or to break God's rules, to make mistakes. But temptation is actually not the same thing. We'll take a little bit of a look at what Jesus did when he was faced with temptation, and then we'll see what we can learn and see how we can face temptation even in our lives today. So let me ask you, what exactly is temptation? Of course, I went to Google to answer these kinds of questions, and Google tells me that temptation is the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. If you go to Wikipedia, it tells you that temptation is a desire to, to engage in short-term urges for enjoyment that threatens long-term goals. It seems like whenever we talk about temptation, it's usually a desire or you want to do something, but it's usually something that has some sort of a negative effect. Because no one ever says, I'm really tempted to do my homework. No one ever says, I'm really tempted to go to the gym today. I'm so tempted to go and eat a salad. No, well, maybe some people do. But usually when it's something that's good for us, something that's got a positive outcome, you don't say that I'm tempted to do that. You just simply say, oh, well, I'm excited. I'm excited to go see my friend play basketball. I'm excited to go eat dinner. You don't think twice and you don't think I'm tempted to do something that's good. It seems to be that it's only when a desire has something negative about it, then we say, oh, well, I'm tempted to do that, even though I know it's probably not good for me. And in fact, those verses that we read just this morning that Shukit read for us, the Bible says something similar about what temptation is. In verse 14, in James chapter 1, verse 14, it says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Being dragged away by evil desire and be enticed. You know, when I think about being dragged away, the first image that pops into my head is when you have someone, usually a little kid who's watching TV, and at some stage it's like, you know, maybe they're at their friend's place watching a movie and then their parents come and say, it's time to go. And the kid's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And eyes are glued to the TV. And a couple of minutes later, it's like, no, no, it's time to go. And the kid's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And at some stage, the parent literally is picking up the kid, and the kid's just never, you know, he's leaving the, leaving the room, and yet the eye is still focused on the TV. That's what I think of when it's like you're being dragged away. It's like you, there's nothing more that you want to do is stay where you are, but it's being dragged away. You're being pulled away. It's forcible, and it's not pretty. But this is what the Bible says. Temptation is when we're being dragged away by this evil desire. And it says that it's our evil desire. So what is this evil desire then? 
Well, last week, for those of you who are here, we, we talked briefly about what sin is, what evil desires are, and we briefly talked about all the way back at the beginning with Adam and Eve, the first two humans that were on this earth, and how they were the first person who broke God's rules. When they sinned and when they made this mistake, when they broke God's rules, their nature, the fabric of their souls changed. And since then, every single one of us, even till today, we all have what the Bible calls a different nature, a sin nature, a propensity to want to actually break God's rules. This is that evil nature that is in us. Because actually from the very beginning, when God designed humans, when God created us, He created us to be like Him, to be without sin, to not have an evil nature, to be without blemish. That's what um, Shukit said this morning about sin being a blemish. We were supposed to be without blemish, and yet because Adam and Eve sinned, because this sin nature has been passed down all the way through to us today, we now have a sin nature. Our nature has changed. And so now we are all innately, we all have this evil nature within us that will come and try and drag us away from how God designed us, to drag us away from what God intended us, and to try and entice us, to dangle fruit in front of us, to do what is contrary to what God wants, to try and entice us to break His rules. And this is what it means when temptation, it is, it is our innate sinful nature dragging us away to entice us. And so what happens if we end up going with the flow? What happens if we sort of allow ourselves to follow on with this temptation? Well, that next verse that Shukit read, in verse 15, it says, then after desire, so after the desire has conceived, then it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, this is really important to get right, because right here in this verse, it tells us that temptation is not actually sin. Because quite often, a lot of us might get worried. We might think to ourselves, if I'm tempted to go and punch someone in the face because they get really mad, you know, I get really mad at them, does that mean that I've disobeyed God? Have I already stuffed up? If I just suddenly have this anger that comes up within me? Well, there's a distinction here because when the temptation comes, that's just the first, that's the evil desire. But then it's only when desire is conceived, this term of conceived, only then it gives birth to sin, and only then does sin lead to death. Now, this metaphor of talking about conceiving and giving birth, I now have a very much more um, graphic and maybe colorful understanding of that now that I'm married to Rach, knowing all about, uh, you know, being married to a midwife, you now learn a lot more about birth. And the main thing that I um, always hear a lot about is that, you know, there's conception at the beginning, but then there's a pregnancy. There's time before something gives birth. And so this is what temptation and sin is about. There's a time between being tempted and then deciding to sin. There's a time when desire will conceive, and then it takes time for us to choose whether we are going to sin or not. And so this is where it says temptation, you can be tempted, but unless it conceives, unless you allow it to become pregnant, and unless you're allowed to give birth, well, there's a distinction. You're not sinning. But when we do allow temptation to conceive, when we allow it to entice us away, when we allow it to drag us away, then it does. Then it naturally becomes sin. And as we saw last week, the consequence, the penalty of sin is death. 
And so let me ask you this. Are there situations where you feel like in your life there are times when you are tempted, and when you are tempted, you entertain it long enough that you actually give in and you follow along with it? I think about when I watch Netflix, because as soon as the episode finishes, and I think I've mentioned this before, there's a 10-second timer before the next episode starts. And I know, both Rach and I know, that on the nights when we are on top of our game, as soon as the episode finishes, before the timer even starts ticking, we turn the TV off. When we do something like that, that's when you don't even let that desire to conceive itself. But if you let that timer start ticking, the first second goes by, and you're like, oh, maybe, maybe I should turn it off. The second second ticks by, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one, that, oh, I probably should reach for the remote, then pretty much after it hits halfway, then you're, oh, well, I'm closer to the next episode than turning it off. I might as well just keep watching the next episode. You know, these are the kinds of things where temptation comes and you give it time, you give it space, and then it leads you to do what it asks you to do. Now, for a Christian and for many of us here, you might have said, oh, well, a lot of the times when I get tempted, well, it's, you know, it's not really me that's doing it. I'm going to say it's actually God that's doing it. You know, it's, you know, if, if God didn't put Netflix in front of me, if, you know, if, God didn't, um, you know, if God didn't give me the ability to watch Netflix, then I wouldn't have watched Netflix in the first place. If God didn't make ice cream to be this tasty, then I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be eating so much ice cream. If God didn't make um, my colleagues so good looking, then I wouldn't be staring at them all day. Quite often we might say, well, when temptation comes, actually, we say that it's God. We try and blame someone else. We try and say, well, oh, you know, someone else made it like that, you know. Um, maybe it's, you know, my, my, my friend asked me to do that. My friend asked me to have another drink. It wasn't me. But let's have a look at what verse 13 says. Shukit read this at the very beginning. When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. And then it goes on to say that it is our own evil desire that tempts us. Because remember, when God created us, he created us to have the same nature as him, and that is a nature without sin, a nature without evil. And so if God doesn't have evil in him, then he can't be tempting us. It is our own sinful nature. And so with all of this in mind, then the question is, if we have this evil nature, if this is in us already, if we have already had this all this time, then how, how can we resist? How can we resist temptation if it's already in us? If it's innately in our nature, how can we resist it? Wouldn't it be just better just to call it a day and say, you know what, I'm just go along with it. Who cares? Whatever happens will happen. Well, the answer is no, because... Even God, God who created us, God loves us too much for us to get wrecked by our evil nature. God loves us too much for us to be wrapped up in sin. God loves us too much to just let us go and to go on a path that he didn't want us to take. And God's not going to leave us up to our own devices. He's not going to leave us to fight something that we can't defeat ourselves. Instead, he gave us an example. He gave us a role model to see how we can deal with temptation. And this is Jesus. Because as Jesus walked on this earth, Jesus, the Son of God, he also was tempted just like we are as well. But he wasn't just tempted by 
a sinful nature because he, he wasn't sinful. He was tempted by Satan himself. He was tempted by the devil. And unlike us, he didn't give in. He didn't get enticed. He nipped it in the bud. That's what the title of this sermon is all about. He got it early and he didn't get enticed. And so I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 4. If you have your own Bibles, then you can turn to Luke chapter 4 as well. I'm going to read to you about what happened when Jesus was tempted by the devil. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 says, Jesus, who was full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan, that's a river, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And so the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, then tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It's, give, it's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Just in this little short story here, Jesus was tempted three times by the devil. He was first tempted to turn stone into bread. He was tempted to worship the devil. And then he was tempted to throw himself off this temple so that angels would come and catch him. And for someone who reads this for the first time, maybe you might feel like these will seem like really strange requests. But when we look at each one of these a little bit more closely, we actually will see a little bit of a template of what temptation looks like even for us today. Because this first one, Jesus is tempted by the devil to turn stone into bread. Well, the context of that is that Jesus has been out in the wilderness for 40 days. He hasn't really eaten much. He hasn't eaten anything at all. He's on this retreat. And so during this time, he probably would be spending time praying, spending time with God. But anyone after 40 days would be hungry, and so his stomach will have caught up with him. All right. Both myself and Rach, we both um, sometimes work long days, and sometimes when you're busy at work, you just forget or you just don't have time to eat lunch. And you sort of go through your day, and then by the end of it, you're sort of all busy, and then you get to the end, you go home, and you realize you haven't eaten anything, you've just had a coffee um, when you woke up, and suddenly when you stop, that hunger crash crashes all over you. You might feel famished, you might feel lightheaded, you might feel a bit hangry, and so Jesus probably would have been feeling all these same things as well, tired. He would have felt like, you know, he's definitely famished. And so the devil comes and he says, well, if you're the son of God, if you're so powerful, why don't you just turn this stone into bread? Then you can eat, then you won't be hungry. Now, there's no question there because Jesus, as the son of God, he does have the power. He could have simply just said to this stone, I want bread, and it turns into bread. But Jesus also knew that his power and what he was doing in the desert there wasn't to be eating bread. 
He knew that he came to this wilderness. He came for a specific reason. He came to not eat so that he could be spending time with God. A few weeks ago, we learned about this idea of fasting when Reverend David came through. And he said that when we are fasting, what it's meant to do is that it's meant to help us to focus on something else. When we are fasting, it's not meant to turn us to whatever we're giving up. You know, when we're fasting from food, it's not meant to make us focus more on wanting to eat food. When we're fasting uh, from a Christian sense, we're fasting because we want to spend more time with God. And so when we're not eating, we're spending time with God. And so Jesus knew this. And so his response to that, he says, man shall not live on bread alone. He goes straight to what God says. And so what does this mean for us today? How is this relevant? Well, often we too are put into strained situations And quite often we get tempted and we do something that we might regret. And often when we look at the mistakes that we make or when we look at the things that we do that we regret, quite often we'll find patterns of how this happens. Maybe you always find that you get really mad when you are hungry and often when you're hungry and you speak with your parents, then that's when you argue with them quite a lot and it tends to be, you know, when you argue with your parents, it always seems to be when you're really hungry. Maybe you notice that whenever you play sport, there's a certain type of person that you play against and they always just get on your nerves and then you get really fired up and you do things that you don't, you don't, you're not very proud of. Maybe you find that in certain situations at work, when there are certain people who say certain things, then you can't help but you get really defensive or you say something that you really regret later on. We all have situations when we are pushed And often, we succumb to it if we don't think about it. When we're sort of pushed in a certain direction, when that that wind comes along, when we're on that paddleboard, we just suddenly just go, oh, well, it's easier just to go with the flow. And then later on, you sit there and you go, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. And often that thing that we regret, that is what we call sin. That is when we do something wrong. That's when we break God's rules. And why has it happened? Well, it's because we were tempted. It's because there was that temptation before. But looking at how Jesus responded, we can see a little bit of a clue as to how we should respond as well. Because Jesus knew that trusting God was the way to go. Instead of turning stone into bread because he was hungry, to trust God was the right thing to do. For a guy who had all the power in the world, fully capable of turning stone into bread, instead he deferred to God and said, trusting him instead. And so let me ask you to think about that situation where you tend to mess up, when you tend to do something you regret. Maybe think about it from this perspective. What might God want you to do instead in that situation? Maybe he's placed you in that situation for a reason. Maybe God has a purpose for you because God does have a purpose for you in both good situations and in bad. And when we understand this, when we understand that God has a purpose, this is a great first step to not doing the wrong thing when it comes to that crunch time. So next up, what else was Jesus tempted by? Well, the devil takes Jesus up to a high place and he shows them all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I'll give you authority and power over all of it only if you bow down and if you worship me first. Here, Jesus is tempted to put something other than God first, to put the devil first, to worship him so that he could gain something back. But Jesus' response, he says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
we are to only worship God and nothing else. But the temptation to worship other things comes in our life all the time. Many of us at a young age were told we should study hard so you can get into a high school. Study hard in year 12 so that you can get a good course at uni. Study hard at uni so that you can get a good job. Work hard and do the overtime so that you can work your way up. But what happens when you get to the top? When we start to try and put things like wealth, when we start to try and put things like career, when those things start to become the priority in our life, that's when we start to be tempted by those things, when we get drawn by the chase for money, the chase for career, the chase for that next promotion. And when we get all the way to the end, even if we get all the money in the world, all the power, even if we're the CEO of our own company, even if we have the biggest house on our street, none of that is going to stay with us at the end of this life. The temptation for us to worship or to prioritize wealth, material possessions, and our reputation often causes us to do things that are just not us. Quite often, when we are trying to work our way up the ladder, when we're trying to get that next paycheck or get that promotion, we might end up sacrificing things that we don't actually want to sacrifice. We might sacrifice spending time with our loved ones. We push and shove, we might lie and backstab. We might sacrifice our colleagues just to get ahead. Even if when we ask ourselves, well, we don't want to because they're the ones that we love. Or often it might be being caught up in the worship of our own self-image. These days with social media, all of these things can so easily lead to worshiping ourselves. This thought of how many likes will I get from this post? How can I curate my feed so that I can get the most followers? Or even just thinking how I look and present myself. If I don't go to this certain party, then maybe my colleagues will look down on me now. If I don't follow the crowd and watch certain TV shows, then people will think I'm really lame. If I don't see the latest Batman movie, then I'm going to feel left out because how else am I going to chat with everyone about it? And then we start to do things that are just not us. We dress differently. We watch TV shows that we probably didn't really want to in the first place. We spend time doing things that we really don't care about. And in the end, we lose our focus in life. But Jesus says the bottom line is that there's nothing in this world that is worth worshipping apart from God. Worshipping or prioritizing wealth leads to emptiness at the end. Worshipping or prioritize our self-image leads to a never-ending chase of wanting to be liked. But how do we break out of this loop? How do we nip this one in the bud? Well, Jesus' word says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only, because there really is nothing in this world worth worshiping apart from God. And so as we put our focus away from those things that are tempting us, as we turn to focus on God, then those temptations will start to dim. And so finally, Jesus is tempted by the devil to test God because the devil comes and he says, if you're the son of God, then jump off. Since God said that his angels are going to protect you and save you, why don't you just jump off and prove that you really are the son of God? And this is where Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, like these other first two, these kinds of temptations often come into our life as well. Maybe we might think to ourselves, well, I definitely know that this extra drink isn't going to be good for me because 
I probably had enough drinks, but God will probably look after me. I should be okay. I probably shouldn't park in this spot because I know that it's a two-hour park, but I think I'll just pray and maybe God won't give me a ticket. I definitely shouldn't stay up to watch another episode of this, or I definitely shouldn't grab my phone and browse on YouTube for a couple more minutes because I know that I need to be at church early tomorrow, but, you know, God will see me through. Or even things like, I know I don't need to, I don't know, I don't feel like I need to deal with religion or deal with other things, you know, those serious things in life. That can wait another day. God can wait. God loves me. I have, nothing, I have nothing to worry about. You know, I have other things that I'm concerned about right now, and I can deal with church another time. But as Jesus said, don't put God to the test. Don't, don't go and try God to see what happens. When we're talking about temptation, God is the last one that we should be tempting to see what happens, you know, when we are trying to figure out what to do with our life. When Jesus was faced with all of these different temptations, he managed to dodge all three. He nipped all three of them in the bud. And when we look at all three of them, it's really interesting in how he did it because there's a pattern in all three of these. In all three of these cases, he quoted parts of the scripture. He quoted God's word. And this is one of the first things that we need to remember because when we know God's word, that will help us to get rid of temptation at the beginning. You know, over these last few weeks and earlier in the year, we talked about spiritual disciplines and we talked about spending time in God's Word. When we take the time to be in God's Word, to know what God is saying to us, then that's when we can get ahead. That's when we cannot get swayed by temptation. But in the end, there is something slightly different in terms of what we are tempted by and what Jesus was tempted by. Remember, what Shukit read today, this morning, he said that when we are tempted, it's, we're tempted by our own evil desire. Jesus didn't have an evil desire, and so the devil came to him to tempt him. But for us, our temptation comes within. It comes from our evil nature. It comes from our sinful nature. And so for us, this temptation is going to stick with us till the day we die. For Jesus, that last verse that I read, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until another time. But for us, this evil nature is going to be with us for the rest of our lives. So what do we do? Well, last week, we talked about Jesus being the substitute for our sin. We talked about this idea that he is the only one that can substitute for us so that we don't need to face the penalty of sin. And it turns out that with temptation, Jesus also is the key for us to defeat it, to nip it in the bud. Listen to what this verse says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. It says, because he, so this is Jesus, because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then just a couple of chapters later in Hebrews 4, verse 15 to 16, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is Jesus. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we do have one. We have Jesus who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he didn't sin. And so just as last week we learned that Jesus is the only substitution for our sin, this week we can see that temptation is only defeated by the power of Jesus. You know, all these tips that we've seen, things like being in God's word, that's one surefire way of helping us to defeat temptation. 
Trusting in God rather than trusting in our own power, that's also really helpful as well. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, prioritizing God rather than prioritizing things like wealth or self-worship, that's also really good as well. Remembering that we shouldn't test God, that's also a good tip. But quite simply put, we don't have the strength to do this every single time. With this evil nature within ourselves, we can't defeat sin and we can't defeat our evil nature and temptation ourselves. Just like that paddle boat when we're standing on it, no matter how hard we paddle by ourselves, we couldn't do it. It took extra people. It took someone else to drag us along for us to keep moving. And without Jesus, without him being the actual, without him being the workhorse, there's no way that we can paddle against the wind that is temptation that comes along with us. Temptation is only defeated by the power of Jesus. And so how do we do this? How do we rely on Jesus' power? Well, first, we need to bring our temptations to him. Take the time to reflect on our life. Remember what I asked? Take some time to reflect on your own life. When do you often make mistakes? When do you often do things that you regret? Where do you find yourself stuffing up and sinning? When you can identify those things, then you can step back a little bit, and that's when you can see where that temptation is. Identifying where we sin is the first step to identify where our temptations are. And when you identify it, then tell Jesus. Spend just a little bit of time each day and pray. Tell God that this is what you are struggling with and ask him to help you. And then we follow in Jesus' example. Then we follow and we spend time in God's word. Then we trust in God's strength. Then we spend time with God. And then when we rely on, God, on, power, on the power of Jesus, that's when we can really actually get ahead of temptation. That's when we can truly nip temptation in the bud. And so over these last few weeks, as we've been going through this time, this period of Lent, this period of Lent is a time when we reflect, when we spend time thinking about our own lives as we lead up to Easter. And so this week, the challenge is to reflect on what temptation do you need to nip in the bud before it leads to sin. Why don't you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't leave us alone. We thank you that even though because of sin, because of sin we have this evil nature within us, we thank you that even though temptation will plague us every day, God, you didn't give up on us. That you, God, you come and meet us and that you give us the strength, you give us a solution, you give us Jesus so that we don't have to face temptation alone. There are many things that as we sit and reflect, we know that there are things in our life that we do that we regret. There are things that not only we regret because we don't like it, but also because we know that you don't like it. And all of these things, Lord, we just thank you that you've given us a way that we can actually avoid it in the first place. And so Lord, I ask that as we take this time to reflect this week, to think about those things that we don't want to do, those temptations that we don't want to let drift us away from you, help us to bring them to you. Help us to ask you to say, God, I need help. I need you to help me. I know that your son Jesus has done this, that he's gone through all this and he was able to defeat it. And so, Lord, help me and give me the power to do it as well. 
And so I pray for each one of us, including myself, that as we go into this week, that we spend this time with you, Lord, that we would take this time to identify, to bring to you our temptations so that you can help us defeat it and nip it in the bud. We thank you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.